Today's Bible reading comes from John chapter 13. We'll be starting at verse 21, reading through to 38, uh, page 763 in the Pew Bibles. And it follows directly on from last week. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Thanks, Andrew. Good morning, everybody. Good to see everyone here this morning. And uh, my name is Coops. Um, let me add my welcome to Scott's. And uh, if you're new, particularly, uh, very special welcome to you. It's great to have new people join us here at Modbury. I'm going to pray in a moment as we begin. You'll have a hand out there uh, as you walked in. Keep that handy. That'll be useful as we uh, talk through this passage. And if you could keep your Bibles open or your device open at that passage as well, John 13 verse 21, that would be wonderful. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can meet and that we can hear from your word this morning. And we pray that you'd speak to us, that you'd soften and change our hearts in response. And please guide us, Father, as we look at this passage this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, I have a friend who, uh, he's not yet a Christian, and a while ago he, he grabbed me, he said, Coops, I've got a whole bunch of questions about faith. And he started asking me all of these questions about being Christian, which was wonderful. And the reason that he was asking these questions was because he worked with a Christian. Uh, he worked with this guy who demonstrated who he was by the way he acted towards his church family. So when others were, had their spare time and they were doing their various things, this guy was carrying out acts of service and spending time with his church family. And to my friend, this was remarkable. And that's what today's passage is about. It's this command that Jesus gave his followers to love each other in a way that meant they'd stand out. And I have to say that you as a church family, you've shown that to my family as we've made this move here to Adelaide. There's been a warmth, there's been a real care from you. And uh, we've done a few moves before. And so I uh, wanted to say that we've really experienced a love from you all and that identifies you as different. And so I wanted to say again, thank you for that. Uh, that's, it's really been uh, quite remarkable to us. And so Jesus says here in verse 34 to love one another to love our christian brothers and sisters and that's all of them he doesn't list uh, a set of exceptions here we're to love all of our christian brothers and sisters and he says here this is a new command and the command to love is not new what he means by new here is the standard or the level of love to love all of our Christian brothers and sisters as Jesus loved. That's to his standard, with no exceptions. And that's new. And that is difficult. I mean, you've loved us, but you don't really know us yet. For example, I support the West Coast Eagles. <laughs> and... Uh, I'm not sure where Rory is at the moment, but this is a picture of them celebrating and uh, rehearsing, actually, for this year's grand final. <laughs> actually really wanted to leave that slide up for a little while, but we'll move on. AFL aside, I wanted to share an experience that I had with you back when I was working a few years ago now. Uh, I was part of a team. We'd meet monthly, um, and we'd catch up, and we'd talk about the departments that we were responsible for. And one particular meeting, I walked in and uh, sat down, and before we could get going through the agenda, one of my colleagues pointed out a problem in my department. And I wasn't particularly aware of this. It was fairly new, this problem. And I didn't have too many answers to this problem. And so our boss looked at me, sort of laser-like eyes, and started asking these questions. And I couldn't answer them. Like, it was excruciating. It was like those old movies you see where they put a lamp on you and they start asking questions. I was sweating and squirming and we must have spent half of that meeting with me sitting in the spotlight. And after the meeting, I went up to my colleague and I said, mate, what's the story? I said, if there's a problem, come and talk to me about it beforehand. We'll sort it out. He said, oh, well, Coops, the thing is, there's a bigger problem in my area but I didn't want the boss to focus in on that. So I just thought I'd throw the spotlight on you and it will be good. 
Yeah. <laughs> Who needs friends? But, and I was never sure, I was never completely sure about this guy, but he'd implied to me that he had a faith. But I can tell you, after that experience with him, I found it pretty hard to love that guy. Really challenging. And this passage made me reflect. To love him as Jesus loved, but that's hard, right? And actually, I didn't do a particularly good job. And it's not just about people like my work colleague, is it? Often we find it hard just to love people who are just different to us. Uh, I had another job prior to that one. I worked in a factory that made malt for beer. And the plant operators there, they were all very similar. They were big guys, they were very physical, very practical sort of guys, except one. He was much smaller, he was quieter, he was just a little bit awkward. And he worked alongside the other guys, okay, no problems there, but he just wasn't accepted as part of the crew. Like he just wasn't included. And you could tell by the behaviour of these other guys towards him, he just wasn't part of them. And those examples, well, they're not the picture that Jesus paints for our church family, are they? No, we're to love each other, challenging or not, different or not, we're to love. And that's hard. And I imagine that I'm not the only person here this morning who's got similar stories of difficulties in loving our Christian brothers and sisters. And yet, that's what we're called to do, aren't we? And so as we look at this passage, I'd like you to ask yourself this question. If the people that you know that don't go to church, so your workmates or the people you play sport with, uh, whoever they are, would they notice something different about you in your church family and the way you interact with Trinity Modbury? Or would you look just like them as they go about their sports or their uh, rotary clubs or whatever it is that they're involved in? Would you look just like them? That's the question. Does your love for your Christian family mark you out as different or would you look no different at all? Hold that question in your mind. Well, that's all very well to say. But what does the way Jesus loved look like? And the passage gives us some explanations of that. So let's take a look at that. That's point one of your outline, sacrificial love. Now in the part of the passage that we're in here in the Gospel of John, this is after the point at which Jesus has been made known who he is. And we're in this section where he's saying goodbye. And it's becoming clear what it is that he's about to do. And we can see in our passage that Jesus loved sacrificially. And it's not a sacrificial love as in he made a snap decision, you know, like a soldier throwing himself on a grenade to protect his comrades. I mean, that is sacrificial. But here, even more so because Jesus is in control throughout the, the whole uh, series of events. Like he knows ahead of time here what the plan is he has control over the events of that evening and yet still he willingly sacrifices himself for our sinfulness take a look at verse 21 with me 
up on the uh, PowerPoint there. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And so he knows it's going to happen. And he has control. Let's look at verse 26. And then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. And so Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. And so here is Judas who has spent all that time with Jesus, who should have had a heart that was softened, didn't. And so God gives him over to do the evil that he wants to do and he's given over to Satan. But notice here that Jesus had to give permission for that to happen. Did you notice that? It didn't happen until Jesus gave the bread to Judas. And then he tells Judas to get on with it. And Judas does. He walks out into the night, into the darkness and away from the light. So throughout all of this, Jesus is in control. And actually, more than that, because Jesus knows what's going to happen to him. That's what we see here in verse 31. Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. And so here, Jesus is using an Old Testament term to refer to himself as the Son of Man. And he says he'll be glorified which is to say he'll be crucified. And uh, you are probably aware crucifixion was the most horrendous, shameful death that could be administered back in the days of the Roman Empire. As the victim hung on the cross, it took days as they suffered. And it usually ended with the victim suffocating as their legs gave way and their head and neck collapsed into their body. It was vile. It was a disgusting and shame-filled way to die. It doesn't sound glorious, does it, to die like that? So how does that glorify God? Because Jesus knew what was going to happen. He had control over those events. And yet he still willingly died according to the Father's will. He took that punishment that we deserve for sin and that through faith we could be forgiven and given life. And so it glorifies God because it shows his depth of love for us. Now in the Old Testament uh, book of Exodus, uh, you might recall, Moses asks the Lord to show him his glory. And so the Lord passes by Moses saying, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. You see, the cross demonstrates the abounding love of the Lord. It's a sacrificial love that puts others first at cost to himself. So I want you just to, to stop and think about that. This is, this is the creator of life, the creator of all of this, everything that we live in, our God, who took it upon himself at his cost. And not only to suffer the most vile, disgusting death that humanity could devise, 
but to face the anger of God the Father for our sin. Purely for our benefit. Like that is love, right? That's love. And I wonder whether it's how we think of love. The Macquarie Dictionary defines love, and it's along the lines of to like another adult very much and be romantically attracted to them. But I don't think that's a definition of love. And I think we sort of see that in the environment that we live in. Um, there's a TV show, you might know it, Married at First Sight. Talks that way about love. Has anyone seen it, Married at First Sight? Small showing of hands. I was going to say, there's no shame. <laughs> there might be a little bit. But actually, I've seen a bit of it too. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but they talk about love, don't they? They talk about love. But actually, when they talk about love, it comes from a place of self-interest and self-fulfillment. You know, when they do those interviews and it's, well, what are you looking for? And it's all about what I want. What's best for me? That's the language that they use. And I wonder whether it shows us a little bit about the environment that we live in. And us, actually. I wonder whether we think a little bit like that and how we think about love. It is love. But there's this sort of kernel of self-interest sort of nestled within it, isn't there? But that's not Jesus' definition of love. No, his love has no self-interest. His is a love that was very costly. He laid down his life because of love. And I, and I, hope, I hope here in Modbury, none of us are ever called to do that. But in which case, uh, the cost to us is actually less, isn't it? than what Jesus has already done for us. And that's the type of love that Jesus calls us to in following him. It's a costly, sacrificial love toward each other. And it's the type of willing behaviour toward other Christians that's distinctive. And so I wonder what version of love should we choose between those two? This love like Jesus is personally costly, yes. But actually it creates a community, this community here that places everybody else first. You see, in a Jesus-shaped community like this one, there's no need to be sceptical of people's motives. You don't need to be wary of what's in it for the other person. And you don't need to protect your own self-interest because everyone else is doing that for you. Yes, it's costly. But in that type of community, that's actually a cost that results in your own well-being, in our own well-being. That's a very different kind of love. Of course, we're not perfect, are we? And this Jesus-shaped community won't be perfect, this side of heaven. 
But this is the type of love that Jesus is calling us to here. Well, that's one aspect of loving as Jesus loved. And our passage goes on and describes another for us as Jesus predicts Peter's betrayal, which is in verse 38. So let's have a look at that. It brings us to the second point on your outline, unconditional love. Because you see, Jesus loves us unconditionally. And here in this verse, verse 38, Peter doesn't understand what Jesus means when he says he won't be able to follow where Jesus is going. Not yet, anyway. Because Peter's not clear about the crucifixion that awaits Jesus. And so he he asks, why can't he follow? Well, he insists, I'll lay down my life for you, Lord. Such is the love that Peter has. But Jesus, of course, knows differently. And I don't think Peter's intent here uh, was, uh, was bad. I've no doubt that it was good. We know later on in the gospel he had plenty of courage. He pulled out a sword and tried to fight his way through the soldiers as they come to take Jesus away. But here, at this point in the gospel, Peter doesn't realise his weakness. Sitting indoors with a meal and all his friends around him is going to be very different to waiting outside in the cold, being accused as a follower of Jesus as Jesus is on trial. And Jesus knows that, so he tells Peter here in verse 38, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And of course we know, don't we, from later on in the gospel, that's exactly what happens. And Jesus knows it. That's extraordinary, isn't it? He knows Peter will turn away from him. He knows that he will be denied in front of others. And yet Peter still... Jesus still loves Peter. Peter loves Jesus as well as what I was about to say. But Jesus still loves Peter. Because Jesus died for Peter. Just like he died for us. And he died for Peter knowing that at the end, Peter wouldn't stand by him. And that's the depth of Jesus' love. It's a love that's unconditional. And that's really hard. Now, if I go back to the story that I told at the beginning about my work colleague who, you know, sort of betrayed me, I guess. But if I'd known that morning before we walked into that meeting that he was going to do that, and I told him that he would, and then he had this choice to make between his embarrassment or my extreme embarrassment, and he still did it, it'd be hard enough to love that guy as it was, let alone in that circumstance. But this is the standard that Jesus holds up as he says in verse 34, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. It's how he loved his disciples and it's how he loves us. And actually, if you think about it, we've all denied Jesus at times. We don't live completely the way Jesus wants us to. That's a form of denying Jesus. And I'm sure there's many people, me included, who'll have stories that we were talking to people, there was an opportunity to point people towards Jesus and we just didn't seize the moment and let it go because it was more comfortable to do that. But Jesus still loves us. It's unconditional. And so when people in our church family deny us or we feel 
some sense of betrayal in the way they've treated us, Jesus calls us to continue to show them love because that's what he does for us. And he's not asking us to do more than he's already done. And so again, which type of love should we choose? It does hurt deeply when you're betrayed or you feel that sense of betrayal. But in this Jesus-shaped community, our weakness doesn't cost relationships. And actually, that in itself instills a confidence. That's a confidence that we can go all out in support of each other because if we fail somewhere, we'll still be loved. It's a very different kind of love. But that's the type of love that Jesus wants for this community that follows him. And so we've seen from this passage, there's a couple of aspects here of this kind of love that Jesus calls us to. And throughout history, actually, that type of love's been a mark of Christian communities. Um, Tertullian was a Christian author. He lived about 100 years after John's gospel was written. And he records how non-Christians in his day marveled at how Christians loved each other. And in his day, it was to the point of death. It was recorded. They marveled at that. And so how do we love like that? This brings us to the third point on your outline, Jesus, the power to love. Now, as I said earlier, this command to love isn't new, but the standard that Jesus is holding out, that is. And loving the way Jesus loved uh, is a very high bar. Um, I've found asking people about their background helps a fair bit. I've got a couple of friends who uh, originally were refugees, came over um, on, on a boat from Iran. And when you stand and talk to them and you ask them questions about their background and you realise what they've been through, it's very hard not to feel some affection for people when you do that. But actually, to love the way Jesus loves... Well, we need to know Jesus if we're going to do that properly and to the extent that Jesus asks us to or commands us to here. It's Jesus that enables that type of love uh, and actually it's Jesus that enables this Jesus-shaped community that I've been talking about. So let's look at verse 34 and 35 and see if we can answer that question of how. How, how do we do that? So verse 34 and 35 say, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. So I wondered, when we read this earlier, did you notice that Jesus says that twice? He tells us to love one another twice. He repeats himself. This is verse 34 again. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. But he could have just said it once, don't you think? It's like me asking the kids to pick up their Lego. Pick up the Lego, please. And if I say it again, it's, then it's significant, isn't it? Pick up the Lego. But, so why tell us twice? 
But we're, we're told here to love one another because Jesus loved us first. As I had loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus' love is the ground of our love for each other. See, Jesus died that horrendous death. He faced God's anger to take our punishment and he was raised again to life. Now, if we trust that, then we're forgiven and we're promised life. That's the definition of love. Now, if we realize that, if we, if we really understand what it is that Jesus has done for us, then we understand something else. If we understand that we've got already everything that we could possibly need the god who created all of this welcomes us into his presence with love in his eyes and compassion in his heart for eternity and when we grasp that we really take hold of that then there's no need for envy see if i'm envious of you well you must have something that i want and if i'm focused on that well then i won't see your need or i won't care but we don't need what others have got because jesus has already given us so much more and if we really grasp what jesus has done then there's no need for pride because pride means i want to put myself above you i want to show you something about myself And that stops me seeing you and seeing your need. But actually, we don't need to be proud, do we? Proud of what? Jesus has saved us and we completely don't deserve it. What is there to be proud of? And there's no need to compare ourselves with others if we understand what Jesus has done. If I compare myself to you and I don't like what I see, then I'll resent you. And I can't love you if I resent you. But we don't need to compare ourselves with each other. No comparison means anything when we're all equally saved by the Lord Jesus. And there's no need to want luxuries that we don't have. Because we've already got everything we could possibly need. Right, that's that knowledge that through faith we're welcomed into the open arms of our Lord unconditionally and for eternity. And there's no greater position to be in than that, is there? There's nothing earthly that compares to that. And if we know it, if we, if we truly feel that, then pride, envy, all of those things, well, we can let them go. Because we no longer carry that burden of self-interest. Do you know why bother? The Lord promises more than we could ever hope for through our own efforts anyway. And so if we're freed from that self-interest, then it frees us to love our Christian brothers and sisters, even the ones that are different to us, maybe especially them, and to love them all sacrificially, unconditionally. Because all those barriers from self-interest All those barriers from self-interest, they're all gone.
So if you do trust in Jesus, can I urge you now to continue to turn back to Jesus in faith? Consider deeply the wonder of what he's done, the amazing thing he's done. And just let that love fill you up, leaving no room for self-interest, pushing it out and just overflow as love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the love that answers that question that I asked at the beginning, the love that marks us out as different. And if you haven't yet placed your trust in Jesus, but this is a type of love that you'd like to get a piece of, then please come and grab me after the service or any of the ministry team here or the person that you came along with. Love to uh, sit and talk and uh, pray more about that with you. So now let's pray and thank God for the love of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for Jesus and what he's done for us at the cross. Please help us to fully appreciate the depth of your love. And please, Father, we ask that this week through your spirit, we would be renewed, released from self-interest and freed to love our Christian community the way that Jesus has loved us. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.